When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to BWI Live one last time here for the Penn State football season. First time in 2022, but the last time for the 2021 season. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr, joined by a stellar crew of gentlemen here to break down Penn State football and their loss to Arkansas, but really the season as a whole and kind of look forward to 2022. Dave Eckert, he is our reporter for Blue White Illustrated. He's joining me. He's uh, the one whose name is Dave Eckert is in the box. And then, of course, we have Nate Bauer, our senior editor. Gentlemen, welcome, and thanks for coming to the show. Appreciate it. Yeah, I'm happy to be uh, doing one more round here, T. Frank. It's going to be fun. Uh, Nate, I want to get to one thing right off the bat because it was something that kind of struck me about something James Franklin said post-game where he talked about uh, the fact that Jamari Budden and uh, Kobe King didn't play. He was asked about that. And he said, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, we talked to, when it's close, we talked to the parents, we talked to the kids, and they decided to keep their red shirt. Can you get into that a little bit with us here and explain, kind of read between the lines of what happened and what that might have been about? Yeah, I mean, certainly I think that he also included the the reality that had there been some injuries at that position they would have used those players right like um if if it was if anything had happened if charlie catcher had gotten hurt uh if if jesse lucetta had gotten hurt if any of those situations had had gone south on penn state in that game then those guys would have played however yeah it 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 certainly was a shift in the conversation from what happened earlier in the week when James Franklin was saying effectively that those guys would play. He didn't name them uh, specifically, but there were only two guys on the team who had played four games and were at risk of burning a red shirt by playing a fifth. Uh, And it was those two. It was Kobe King and Jamari Budden. So, yeah, you know, I, I, I think that, I think that it's a little more complicated than, um, you know, it, look, the way that the rules are now, if if you play, if you have not played in any games, right, for 12 games and get to the bowl game and you have to play and it burns your redshirt, I can understand that as being a major source of frustration for any player who who hasn't been used previously to that. But... If, if you played four and now you're playing a fifth, uh, you know, what are we talking about? 40% of the season that you've been, that you've been able to play. Right. So like, it's not, it's not quite as drastic as it used to be. Um, but still, you know, I think that if you're, if you're a, a coach who values the input of your players and their careers, then I think that you have to take 
certainly into consideration, how, you know, what their feelings are about these types of situations. Uh, is that being, a, is that being Dave, is that being a player's coach or is that a, a mismanagement thing? And, and I'm, I genuinely don't have an answer to that. I'm just curious. And it probably comes down to whatever you believe in individually, but I guess, where do you fall on that spectrum of allowing that sort of latitude when it comes to decisions? Because most coaches, it seems at least from the outside are very much, kings and dictators of their little fiefdoms at least that's how it's described to all of us so what what is your thought of how james franklin manages from that perspective yeah i i'm fine with it look i mean i i i don't have a problem with it i understand you know looking at arkansas rushing for 361 yards on saturday and you're like hey you know probably could have used those guys uh but but look they're young players it's not like you insert them in this game and Penn State wins it. I don't think that's I don't think that's a scenario um, that, that there's any validity to. But, you know, as, as far as Franklin granting that latitude to his guys, I'm fine with it. And you don't you, you don't know what they've talked about. Right. You know, that could have been something that they discussed before the season. Um, right. They, or, or while they were being recruited. So certainly if if Franklin had told them that they'd be involved in this to these discussions and then said, you know, nope, you're playing, that's a problem. Right. Um so, you know, I I'm okay with it. I don't I don't think there's really um too much to complain about there. It just maybe it seems a little bit weird to us because again, we do associate college football coaches as you said, um just they're kind of little little mini monarchs, um, but <laughs> I uh, I don't know I, I don't have a huge issue with it. This is the BWI Live Monday Recap Show. I uh, want to thank everybody who's joined us this season so far. We got a bunch of our regulars in the chat. We'll be getting to your questions, but if you want to donate to the channel and you want to make sure that we do see what your comment or question is, you can always donate a super chat, and that of course goes towards keeping uh, this tugboat afloat. Uh, but also make sure that we'll we'll definitely get your question on the show. We got a lot to get to when it comes to the game and some of the things we've already talked about, but I want to get to Stephen Light. He says the Holy Trinity arrives to cart off the departed spirit of our late friend the 2021 season. So I guess let's start with how how do you nutshell this, Nate? How do you take 2021 for all that it was, beginning, middle, and end, and this kind of a wet thud that we had to end the season. And how do you, how do you nutshell it for us? Yeah. Um, that's a great question. It's, it's one that I look, I was bullish on Penn state football coming into the season. I picked 10 and two for the regular season, um, based on what I thought the issues were from the 2020 season for and obviously it was a mess. It was a total disaster. Um, but based on what I saw as the on-field issues and where I thought that they could improve in the offseason, I, I, I very forthcoming here to, to acknowledge that I thought that they could be pretty good. And I think that they they were to an extent, right? Like they, some of the grit, some of the um, the intangibles, just the things that it takes to learn how to win showed themselves in the Wisconsin game, showed themselves in the Auburn game. Those, those are tough games. Like no, no matter how the, uh, the season panned out uh, for either of those two programs, those in the moment, those were tough 
hard fought games that Penn State came out with wins. But I, I think what happened, at least if if I'm broadly kind of viewing this, is that for for whatever reason, Sean Clifford's injury and PJ Mustafer's injury stunted the development that was taking place. Right. Like all of the all of the progress, all of the like it, it just it seemed like there was kind of a crescendo into that uh, Iowa game for Penn State offensively, because look, uh, uh, again, Penn State's offense was the issue. Yeah. <laughs> like bottom line, like uh, I'm, I'm, I refuse to entertain any conversation that in game management, that special teams, field goal kicking, that defense i I refuse fourth down decisions things like that all of it 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 was irrelevant to the reality that penn state could not score points the offense could not score points and until you score points you cannot win football games and so that that was to me the deal is they were starting to make progress you saw it in the first half of that iowa game even with the interception that that sean clifford threw at the start of the game yep they still were able to do things they were moving the ball they were productive they were explosive it was like they were starting to come out of their shell he got hurt and that was it and not just that was it for that game that was it for the season they yep. never they never did offensively really the same thing until maybe the Ohio State game. The Ohio State game was the, the the last game that they played well offensively and they scored 24 points. Yeah. I'd so say I'm not going to get it done. Yeah, in in a game where Maryland kind of handed them a lot of yards in that game, but to your point, they didn't score a lot of touchdowns mm-hmm. to late. Being competitive throughout was the last time in that Ohio State game. Uh Night Raven, another one of our uh, beloved uh, participants here on the BWI Live show. Everyone feels the same way. All I can say is thank God it's over. What a depressing season. Uh, You guys need to start a Patreon. Did I say that right? Also, I should probably know what that is. That sounds like an internet-y thing that I'm supposed to. That's under my uh, jurisdiction. Uh, Our our Patreon is available. Um, You can subscribe to bluewhiteillustrated.com for $1 for the next year. That's our Patreon. (laughs) Yeah, we have a website. We have an actual (laughs) thing that you go to. Um, We're going to get into the Penn State offense here in a second. And I always have questions. And I always feel like they're very leading questions because they're what I was thinking about. So I want to start like uh, JC does. 2021 offense certainty of misery combined with the 2022 defense the misery of uncertainty despondency (laughs) prevails discuss so i just want to start with what were your thoughts of the penn state offense in the outback bowl because as nate accurately described the problem this year was the penn state offense and their inability to score points so dave i want to start with your overall thoughts on the offense, we'll get into some questions I have about that in a second. It was genuinely terrible. Like <laughs> I don't know what I don't know what else to say. It was awful. I think in our document I wrote fart noises next to the offense. Um, you did, yeah, yeah. So it's it was so bad. Like it, uh, Clifford did not have his best game. Fourteen for thirty-two, uh, one hundred ninety-five yards, one touchdown, two picks. 44% completion percentage. That is gross. Just just not good. Um, you know, it, it's Parker Washington was really, if there is 
any kind of saving grace offensively. He was it. I thought he was awesome. Outside of that, you know, they didn't get anything from the tight ends. Um, Keandre Lambert Smith was, was okay. Um, offensive line, not very good. You know, they actually ran the ball okay in this game. I think Kevon Lee yeah. was five for 41 and Noah Kane was five for 28, which, you know, I think that's, that's, uh, over a six yard average there. Um, if I'm mathing correctly, uh, yep. seven actually. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's kind of weird that they got 10 carries combined, um, but yeah, the offense was gross. It was terrible. They missed Jahan Dotson. <laughs> I don't really know what else there is to say. It was it was it was bad. Nate, your overall thoughts on the offense, please. Yeah, so <laughs> I say it a little desperately, please. No, I I I think that look, I the most fair thing that we can do, right, as journalists and observers of this Team Frank, you absolutely qualify as an analyst of this is to put ourselves in the shoes of Mike Yersich and James Franklin and consider all of the things that they have to consider when putting together a game plan and calling a game, right? Uh, it's not just what you do. It's what the defense is showing you. It's what your personnel is available. It's the limitations that you have on the offensive line. It's it's all of those different things that factor into it. And so I, I see that, and I very easily can point to Jahan Dotson not being part of the, the game plan and saying, okay, well, that, that obviously impacts your explosiveness. That obviously impacts uh, Sean Clifford's completion percentage right? Like, because he's not that accurate to begin with, but when John Dotson catches everything that improves it. Yeah. Um, you, you see the offensive line as being a problem. You know, that Rasheed Walker being out is certainly for as poorly as Rasheed played this season. <clears throat> it's still not a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's, still, so, it's still not a good thing as, as average, I think as Rasheed Walker played, but below expectation, there were so many parts of this offense and this team that, as you said, you started bullish on this team and their ability to be a good football team down the stretch. There were so many parts that, that did not meet expectation. Even the parts that created expectations during the season, like the Penn state offense and, and going five and Oh, uh, not having those guys and yet throwing the ball down the field, which was their plan of attack on Saturday. Dave, do you have an issue with that? Not really, because I, I, I guess I'm just, I don't know where else it's supposed to come from. If you don't do that. I mean, there again, we, we've talked about it ad nauseum on here, their running game, not very good. Um, generally speaking, even if it was all right, uh, all right on Saturday, but I mean, are you just going to try to, to throw, you know, uh, like under the defense to Parker Washington 10 times to, to score a touchdown? Like, I don't, I don't know if that's a reasonable expectation. And I think not only from his play calling on, on Saturday or, or whatever, I, I think Penn state's coaching staff feels the same way because you hear James Franklin talk about explosive plays just about every time he talks to us. So, yep. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think that especially against an Arkansas offense that is going to again just try to wear you down 
Yeah. They had to force Arkansas to catch them, and they had to do that to score points. So, yeah. What is your general feeling of the first year under Mike Yersich as far as his performance as the offensive coordinator and what he put on tape for you this season? Yeah, um, it wasn't very good, was it? It's just, it's it's hard to, again, look, we know that Penn State had serious problems. We know that their offensive line was not good. We know that they were extremely one-dimensional because they wouldn't run, they couldn't run the football all season. So all of that, you know, included in the, in the assessment, you know, I guess you can kind of understand why Penn State's offense ended up the way it did, but... I, I think by by most metrics, Penn State's offense was probably better last year, you know, and 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 it had I think similar issues to deal with. Um, I, I think the one uh, the one thing and uh, Night Raven has kind of contradicted me here, but the one thing you can probably point to with with uh, Mike Yersich is I think despite Sean Clifford's poor game on Saturday, I think you know there's there's signs that he improved Sean Clifford. I think Sean Clifford was much better this season than he was last year. So to me, that is where I say, okay, and T. Frank's getting ready to yell at me for saying this. Uh, But uh, (laughs) that's the one thing that I say, okay, cool. But but again, overall, it's it's hard not to be disappointed, especially considering the results he's gotten elsewhere. Um, Yeah. There hasn't been, there hasn't been much good. (laughs) So, so I, I did, and you'll get my opinion on the Penn State offense coming up on the BWI Daily Edition later today uh, and some of the things I found watching the film. The only thing I want to say about what you... It was for five games that he improved. Sure. That's the, so I don't know what to do with that. It wasn't like there was a common thread other than when Sean Clifford was put under pressure, he melted like the Wicked Witch of the West. Nate, how do you... What... What do you do with Mike Yersich, given everything we just talked about and, and his performance as an offensive coordinator, and he admitted that it was not good enough and he wants to run the football and all the things he said in the Bull Media Day. How do you how do you handle his performance this season, given that we know what he was working with? Yeah, I think... Look, I think that the approach is... It, 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 it aligns with what you think should work, right? Like, I, I don't think that any of us would argue against, and T. Frank, we've discussed this uh, at length, right? Michigan, ground and pound is a losing formula. You're not going to win a national championship that way. And <laughs> this is a broader conversation, but I just think that the direction that James Franklin wants to go Yes, you want to be able to run the ball, whether people think you're going to or not. But to win football games, you have to pass it effectively. And not only do you have to pass it effectively, but on four of those passes, you have to have someone win a one-on-one and take it to the house. That's it. Yeah. It, it's it, these are it's gambling. That's all it is. And so if Sean Clifford hits Theo Johnson on a pass with nobody within 15 yards and Malik mega catches a bread basket that hits him in the chest. Maybe we're talking about a different game 
right? Like maybe maybe we're talking about a different outcome. Yeah. Uh, in this, but but we're not because that was that was how thin the margin of error was for Penn State this season, and so. It, do I foresee enough improvements to change that equation for next season? No, <laughs> no, like not, not, not necessarily. It doesn't mean that it can't change. It doesn't mean that yeah. th that the aren't there for that to to potentially change. I think that we saw it change from 2015 to 2016 with a, a few slight tweaks. Like sometimes things go your way and sometimes they don't. Um, but this season in particular was just a little bit of pounding your head against the wall yeah. Uh, in terms of trying to do something that very, very clearly Penn State was unable to execute. The, I don't think that the plan was necessarily faulty. It was that the execution of that plan never, ever came to fruition. Yeah. Not, not even once. <laughs> no, no. Like it, not, yeah. That I, I mean, I, I you almost I had me though. So I got to no, say, I don't want to, I don't want to belabor the point, but the fact that it never happened, like to, like to me, that's like a, 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 a an indictment is that you had 11 chances and even the, the non power five games, yep. like yeah. at no point this, like you just, just by chance, you would think that at some point someone would go off. And have a game like I mean, they did it against Illinois at the end of last season in, yeah. in 2020. They did do it against Villanova. That was the one game where they were able to throw the ball down the field. Points against Villanova. Yeah, like that, yeah. I mean, so we got That's a it. we got a, a ton of uh, super chats coming in today, and I want to appreciate everybody for sending us off uh, into the off season. We'll find excuses to come back and do a live show, but I want to thank everybody for uh, Blue for, <laughs> for coming. Oh, you know I'm doing. I'll do that one live on location. But Stephen asks, <laughs> given the academic calendar, thanks to Blue White Illustrated for uh, showing that this morning. Is there any realistic chance that Veyu could enter the portal? Do you? Are there signs of that? Like, is that, or is that just, so there is a good amount of when you get into a rut and I'm going to compare this to, to what Sean Clifford experienced over the last part of the season. When you get into a rut, fear just takes over. Is that a legitimate fear, Dave, that you should have that Christian Veyu would an enter the portal? I can see why you would speculate that it might happen just given what the situation looks like. But I, I, I don't think that there's been anything to indicate that it will. And, you know, Nate, Nate might be better equipped to answer this question than I. But, you know, I, I understand the fear, I guess. Um, but but I don't think there's been any signs of that happening. Uh, I want to quickly, before we get on to our next point, uh, if you're enjoying our conversation about Penn State football, talking about the offense, Sean Clifford, all those things, make sure you like the video. We're going to go through the offense, defense, look ahead at the the off season as we have with Steven's question about the portal. And uh, if you enjoy this, give the video a like. It lets people know that you like it and it doesn't suck. Uh, so that's really always my goal is make sure things don't suck. Uh, when it comes to Sean Clifford and his performance, Nate, you almost got me. On the BWI Daily Edition, you and I talked about you had the inside information. He was going to have the option to return from the Penn State coaching staff. He then took that option and has announced he's returning for 2022. You talked me into thinking it was a good thing. Here's a, here's one. I will give away one stat 
from the BWI Daily Edition coming up in a little bit. The stat is zero. Zero for 10. I won't tell you how that happened, but that is one of his stats. He was 0 for 10 in a certain situation on Saturday. Is it still a good idea that Sean Clifford is coming back for 2022? Yes. Reconvince me, please. <laughs> I need it after watching right. that. Uh, you need to have at least four scholarship quarterbacks on your roster. At least. And this year was a perfect demonstration of that. That having three with a super senior or a senior and two guys who weren't really ready at that time to start the season it's just it's not enough they they needed to fill that with with somebody with junior eligibility in the the transfer portal and they weren't able to find that fit and it came back and it bit them guess what if if any of those guys aller pribula or christian value are good enough to win the job they will win it they i, I don't legitimately i don't have any doubt about that and i understand why people think i sound like i'm crazy but sean clifford got benched because he was awful last season <laughs> he will get benched again if he's not good enough they, he was they he, want to he was legitimately awful in the bowl game and he didn't get benched like james franklin said after the game the medical staff pulled him out of the game that's i think people's fear is that uh, okay, I agree with you. I saw that in 2020, but he was there were there were moments where he he was head was underwater and they just let him play through it and it got him where they were this year and and that's I guess the the fear is that that will continue. But to your point, if Christian Veyu isn't better in 2022 to take that next step, that I think is a systemic problem that goes beyond Sean Clifford. That is then about quarterback evaluation and development from Mike Yursich. Um, so it, for Steven, to re-answer your question, if he enters the portal, I think it's an indication that he doesn't believe he has a chance to start. And I want to throw this up again. Uh, David normally is not one of our most positive people in the chat, and I'm a little surprised here. Um, is everyone on the O just a little bit better away from 11-1? and one? PSU lost by an average of four. Little improvement everywhere in Penn State is 10 and 2, 11 and 1 uh, next year. Season was rough, but could have easily been a winning season. So, do you believe that their improvement on offense, because we, we kind of agree that offense was by and large the problem? Dave, are they incremental steps away from being a 10 and 2 team and 11 and 1 team next season? I mean, sure. The, mar the margins were small all season so in that sense david is right um i want to caveat though that though by saying that i think that they finished this season like pretty much where they deserve to finish this season um and, and again this takes into account all of the injuries and all of the other stuff that you know nate kind of laid out for us at the beginning of the show but i mean penn state was i i think they were seventh in the big 10 in total offense per game coming into this bowl game. I don't know where they ended up after it. And, and, you know, on defense, they were a top 10 scoring defense all season, but they were that because they had an excellent red zone defense and because they generated turnovers, not because you couldn't move the ball on them, period. Right. So I, I just think that everything kind of encapsulated, like, yeah, seven and six, you know, considering their schedule, Right. Yeah. 
if they play a Big Ten West schedule, then then the record is better. But all things considered, I don't I don't leave the season thinking they should have done better they, or, or 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 that they deserved more wins from the season. I think they ended up just about where they should have. To be totally frank, I I just I'm gonna ask the chat this. And uh, I'll if you if there are any good answers I will I'll throw them up on the screen. Would that seven and six have felt better if you lose to Auburn but beat Michigan? And or obviously if you beat Ohio State, I think that changes the narrative for a lot of people. But if you beat one of those two teams down the stretch and it's the same record, does that make you feel any better with one win on the second half of the season? I would you know as much as I, I agree with you, Dave. They are the team that they were this season, but it was just such a drastic difference between the two sides of the coin uh something else that that dave brings up and this was going to be my next conversation point about the offensive line he says offensive line was a little better after three at uh, just three weeks give them winter and spring they should be much better which is not hard to be but you get it like they can be better next season especially with some of the young guys that are poised to take a step forward on the offensive line something you and i have talked about nate this offensive line did not play well, but none of them were benched either, noting a lack, lack of depth. Do you think that depth caused complacency, or is it just a for just they weren't very good this season, especially on the interior? Um, no, I mean, I look, I, I don't think that complete like it's I don't get the sense that people weren't trying hard, uh, you know, like I don't, I, uh, sometimes I think that you find yourself in a spot where your options become limited naturally through attrition and injury and some guys don't pan out and maybe there is a development problem in, in some circumstances, but the combination of all of those things leaves you in a, in a spot where, you know, it, it you're choosing between a lot of not ideal options and for the offensive line, for the way the Penn state's offensive line played out this season, I think that was a, a big part of it. I also think I, I kind of can't help, but reflect on 2014 and 2015 and how many issues the offensive line had during those two seasons. And really it boiling down to, how hard it is to not have lapses on the offensive line because you can have every piece of that offensive line play well on 99% of the snaps. But if you have them have their laps all at different times, <laughs> you're in trouble. Yeah. You're, like if you, if you have that one, it, look, I'm not suggesting that. <laughs> <laughs> they were that they were good ninety nine percent of the time, and all just had these these issues occasionally. Um, yeah. It was very obviously uh, a, a challenge for them all season. But I just think that a new year, maybe some portal action, maybe some development, maybe some injuries coming back uh, and being ready to play changes changes the dynamic a little bit there on the offensive line. Dave, how confident or not confident are you? in a positive direction forward for the offensive line. Do you think that this is going to be something that is rectified next season? It's got to be by next season, right? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I know I know that's not the answer that that you guys want, but seriously, I mean again, they're 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 probably 
they're they're going to be relying on you know some of the same guys, some of the younger guys that we saw on Saturday. Um, so you're going to need those guys to make offseason improvements, and it's going to come down to whether they can complement those improvements, assuming that they happen, because again they're freshmen or redshirt freshmen, and we expect that to naturally take place with you know a, a name or two from the transfer portal. Um, and and sh- if they get both of those things, then I think they can be better. Sure. Um, if they don't, then, you know, they might be up against it and they have to be better. So that, that has to be priority number one for me. Um, just figure it out. Like (laughs) it's, 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 it was a huge, huge problem. Um, yeah, that's, that's really, that's, that's my nutshell on it. I, I, I can't, it's hard to predict whether it will be without knowing what it looks like. And and that's kind of a, something that I think we're all getting used to in college football again with the transfer portal. Yeah. Um, because it's like, Hey, you can dip into free agency here. You don't know what your roster is going to look like five months from now. So it's, it's tough to project, but certainly I feel like they need an addition there. Um, maybe two and they need, you know, the, the Tang walls and the Fashanus to take a step. So one thing I want to clarify here on the show before we move forward is, uh, if you checked out the BWI live post game show with myself and Tom Hannafin, I said Rashid Walker was coming back. It was an assumption. So I just want to clarify that, uh, that that was something I misspoke about. But all the tea leaves seem to be that a guy who's injured and didn't play in this game was seen on crutches is not going to enter the NFL draft and go through testing if he can't run and jump and do all, all those things because he did not put tape out there, I think, that would make him a highly sought-after offensive lineman. So... What are your perceptions, Nate, about Walker's situation? Do you agree with that? And then before we get to that, survey says, would you have been okay with 7-6 and six if one of the wins was against Michigan or Ohio State, a resounding 100% no. The entire chat said that that was the dumbest idea they had ever heard. I thought, you know what? That, com- that comes from years of being a fan of a bad team. I just wanted to beat a good team, so it felt a little bit better uh, as an NFL team. Uh, but, uh, Nate, what are your thoughts on Rasheed Walker and kind of building that offensive line for the next season? Are you optimistic about the parts and pieces they have coming back? Yeah, I think I look, I, I don't think that fundamentally the equation has changed of what Rasheed Walker represents as an athlete. Right. Like I, th- I think that that Phil Troutwine certainly still would think and still would describe him as a guy who has potential. I, I don't know. What do you, I mean, what do you think, T Frank? Like, d- does he has he outed himself as just completely unable to no. compete at this? Right. Like, I don't, he's, I don't he's think just been a chronic good. underperformer. Uh, and and okay. that was the, that was the narrative that James Franklin set up the whole season with in the spring where he said the light has really come on for Rashid because he was a top 100 tackle, one of the most athletic young linemen I had watched coming out of high school that had come to Penn State. He was everything they needed as a left tackle. He was, and and for whatever reason, he was good early on, but he never was excellent. And this was supposed to be the year he put it all together. And for one reason or another, it just came out as meh. It wasn't as bad as the narrative describes, but it wasn't good enough where I would want to draft him if I'm an NFL team. Because there's a lot of big, fast, physical guys that have better tape. So, you know, that's, that's, I guess, you would think that if he comes back, 
Did you see anything from Olaf Ashunu that's going to make that a competition? That's my question going forward is, can you get more out of that? Can you push Rashid Walker to actually be his best if he comes back? Do you think that's a possibility, or is this kind of what it's going to be? One of... One and this is not a direct answer to that question, but one of the things—it was a crap is, question anyway. So you're no, you're no, no. It's, it's <laughs> one of the things that's striking to me is in preseason media day, Phil Troutwein made it very clear that he wanted to have as many as ten offensive linemen, yeah, be being ready to play, and I think it's arguable that they might not have had more than three offensive linemen. <laughs> <laughs> and so there there are some questions, I think, to be answered as to what happened to what was anticipated to be some depth at that spot. Like, th there were supposed to be some options. There were supposed to be some guys who, yeah, they weren't quite ready for prime time, but... They could fill in in a pinch. They they would be ready for that moment when it came. I mean, certainly there's no lack of bodies necessarily. Yeah. Um. You know the the Sal Wormley injury I think was a setback for sure. Um. But you know Miranda Wig Wigan was a disappointment, right? Like I mean it just didn't work out in in that Wisconsin game, and they really never came back to him. Yeah. Um. Eric Wilson. Bryce Efner, Juice Scruggs, Rasheed Walk, like there's a lot of dudes. There's a lot of guys there. Um, and so the fact that there were really only five offensive linemen who got reps this season with a sixth in Efner. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I just, I think that there are definitely some questions as to how, what kind of flexibility to put the five best on the field is there going into next season, as opposed to simply being forced into again, making the best of a bad situation. Like what, what, where do, where do the, where does that fall in that balance? Um, and I'm not sure, but certainly coming out of this season, it, 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 it doesn't seem good. It doesn't seem like an ideal flexible uh, variables type of situation. Uh, we have one friendly uh, Razorbacks fan who has said some nice things, wants to see Penn State and Arkansas play uh, in a home-and-home. -home. I can promise you if James Franklin has anything to say about it, he will not be playing an SEC team to start the season ever again. This season, that was one thing that I think from the get-go he was very unhappy about and something that uh, as much as as much fun as that would be, and I think it was it should have been a fun game at full strength, with strength on strength, I don't, I don't, I don't see that happening. So appreciate you joining the show. Appreciate you uh, being here. And if you want to be like David or Night Raven or uh, Stephen, and you want to donate to the channel, you can always give us a super chat. We're going to get to that in just one second. We're talking about the Penn State offensive line, um, but the running game in general. And uh, we had a comment earlier about that's what happens when you switch schemes. Struggling in the run game. Do you think the running backs? have room for improvement next year? Do you see a tangible improvement from them outside of the the offensive line and what they provide? Dave, what are your thoughts on the tectonic plates that are going to shift this offseason in the running back room? Well, yeah, they're uh, they're adding the guy, a uh, guy you might have heard of named Nick Singleton. So that's, that's a good a starting place. Deal. Yeah, you know, that's it. So certainly you would expect him to contribute early. Um, 
given the current state of the running back room. But yeah, it's 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 de- a lot of it's dependent on what happens up front. Um, I do think that Penn State's running backs also play their part in the running game stinking. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I know a cane. We think maybe he had a little bit of a knock midseason. He was not the same um, coming back from his injury last year. Kevon Lee didn't really take a step forward, I wouldn't say. Um, John Lovett was was disappointing. Um, so, yeah, uh, certainly you're, you're optimistic about the names. Um, you should mention Katron Allen as well, another highly touted uh, running back commit. Um, along with Singleton, you're, you're, you're excited about those guys um, if you're a Penn State fan. But other things, I think, need to happen for – uh, for, for that running game to really click. And um, a lot of it we just talked about is the offensive line. And as uh, David, I'll throw this back up here again, as David asked the question, and really, you know, because there are a thousand line combinations, and I've been going through them in my head as well over the last couple of, day, a couple of days since we saw both Landon Tengwall and Olaf Ashunu play well in that bowl game, is how do you, as Nate said, get the best five out there, get guys out there that are uh, going to perform? Do you feel like they were all in the best place for them to play this season? Or was that more of a product of them not being in the right position because of depth and necessity? Uh, Nate, I just want to wrap this up quickly because we haven't talked at all about the defense going forward. But is do you think that next season there's the, there's an optimism that you could put guys in the situation for them to succeed, not to be in one that helps the team? I mean, I can't know until I know exactly what the roster looks like. Um, yeah, you know who who fills in and what and what the readiness is for the guys who were coming up through the developmental ranks this season. I mean, it's it just it's like I said, it it really was a situation where it was presented as a possibility to have ten people ready to play and that that would allow them to put the five best on the field, put the five best in their best positions to succeed. I I don't think at any point this season that was the case. I think that became overwhelmingly clear uh, as soon as Sal Wormley was, was out of the equation, right? As soon as you lost one starter, as you started to see them make adjustments to try to make up for that. And it was this constant domino effect of, all right, well, if we got to play one guy out of position, there might be another who has to play out of position, you know, just to, just to get the five next best ones on the field. So no, I mean, I, I, we'll see, we'll see. I mean, certainly you're, you're more knowledgeable from the standpoint of what those best positions are for those players but, um, yeah, I, I don't think it was ideal this season by any means. So, Stephen, I, I, I'll address this quickly because I want to move on to some other places. We'll put a pin on the receivers because coming out of that game, there's not really a lot to evaluate. And if you want a scouting report of Mitchell Tinsley, I did that last week on uh, the Blue Eyed Illustrated Daily Edition. I think you will be very excited when you read and you hear about Mitchell Tinsley and what he did at Western Kentucky and how I think he translates. But so when, when it comes to this offense, Stephen... And this is kind of what I saw in the bowl game is what do you adjust to? So you come in with plan A and you have uh, your game plan and you practiced all week to do X and you can't do X because something happens on the field. They're ready for it. You have a guy that isn't performing in a certain situation. 
But the reason you're doing that is because you can't do any of those other things else because the personnel's already dictated that those aren't in the game plan. Whether it's the running style, whether it's the, the actual scheme, whether it's running the football in general, whether it's throwing short, whether it's throwing deep, or whether it's throwing intermediate, you can make any adjustment in the world that you want, and there's always an answer. You're right. But you have to execute the answer. And they were fine. They were trying to find an identity all season long. And when it came down to what they could do is they could methodically move the ball down the field with short and intermediate passes with the majority of what happening was the perimeter run game with those receivers. They couldn't throw the ball deep. Take that off the plate because Sean Clifford and the offensive line and the receivers, it just didn't mesh. So then you can't run the ball. You can't do X. You can't do Y. What are you adjusting to? What's the adjustment? There's nowhere to go with this particular personnel. And again, that comes down to next season. If you want a different result, a different quarterback has to step up. And as Nate said, somebody has to beat Sean Clifford for that job. So moving on to the defense, um, what were your takeaways from the young players that you saw out there on the football field, uh, either good or bad, in the, in the first half before Arkansas decided they were done playing around. Uh, Dave, what were your thoughts of, of Penn State's defense and the young players you saw? Yeah, it was it was all right. I mean, it was good to see uh, Smith-Vilbert, I think three sacks, right? Um, I, T. Frank and I kind of talked a little bit about this before um, hopping on, but, you know, some of those were coverage sacks, I think, but still, um, it's good production from him. Um, but, but, yeah, you know... You know, we got, we saw a lot of Kalen King, but we've seen a lot of Kalen King. Um, we know Kalen King's capable. Um, I thought he was all right. Um, Wisconsin only threw the ball for, I think, 90 or Sorry, Arkansas. I've been calling them Wisconsin all week. Um, <laughs> Arkansas only threw the ball not for 90 yards. So, pass defense, no real complaints there. Um, Jalen Reed, I thought, was okay. Um, you know, in the passing game, I thought he struggled uh, to kind of help out in the run game, just like everybody else um yeah yeah um so yeah we saw a little bit of Zaki Wheatley I think he played you know maybe 10 snaps he I thought he looked pretty good but mm -hmm. there wasn't really a performance there outside of the the sacks um for Vilbert um that you really take and say that's that's it that was awesome um I didn't I don't I don't think that's a reasonable expectation in a game like this yeah. uh but um it there wasn't really anything that I'm taking and I'm like that's it. That was, that's amazing. They're going to see, we're going to see a ton of that next year. Uh, I want to ask you, Nate, about Zaki Wheatley, because I've been told several times, oh yeah, he's, he's going to be, he's going to be a safety. He's, he's transitioning to safety. When he's coming to the game, he's played corner. Uh, is there something I'm missing other than being 6'2", 192 as a freshman? Or is there something else out there about his play that makes you think he's going to be a safety going forward? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it it feels kind of um, consistent, I would say, within the program that there's always a guy or two in that defensive backfield in terms of guys that they recruit who they cross-train or okay. who develop and progress through their careers from corner to safety. Um, I think, I mean, really, we've seen it just about every year that there's been someone who that has happened to. Um, I, again, I, certainly you're much more in tuned with what those attributes might be in terms of, I mean, so, I, I, but, I'm going to so sound like an idiot moving their <laughs> hips and those kinds of no, things. No, you got it. I, you got the right words. 
turning their hips. Yeah. Uh, making plays on the ball. I, you know, so those the, things. It, they're just things that are presumed, and I haven't seen anything from him at all, you know, because he's come on the field and he's played, I think, 10 snaps all season or 15 snaps all season. So when people just say that, I was just curious if there was any other reporting or something else out there that it was the destination all along for him because I haven't seen anything one way or another. Uh, and he looks a lot, like I got confused one time. I'm like, Joey Porter is wearing something completely different because they're the same size, the same body type. So I just <laughs> the door is open to me that he could play corner as well. So that's just one curiosity. Uh, but I want to ask you then about kind of the same question. Any young guys, let's have some positivity, any young guys that you saw on defense that stood out to you that you thought played well or that bode well for the future? Hmm. Um, I thought Jordan Vandenberg had a, a moment. He had a flash, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I've uh, talked, this is the third I mean, show that I've been on that I've talked about how much I like his game, so. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, look, like, the here's the thing, and this is, it should not come as a surprise that the guys who were noticeable for Penn State's defense on Saturday were the guys who have played a ton of football. Jesse Lucetta was noticeable, right? Like you, you saw him making plays. Um, you know, uh, certainly I think that um, Nick Tarburton had a couple of moments, um, you know, but for for those young guys, it it really turned into a situation where Yes, they couldn't bring down KJ Jefferson in the second half. Uh, James Franklin talked about it. He, he he said something to the effect of Jefferson had that first carry in the second half where he picked up a first down and that was it. <laughs> that was the end of the game. Yeah. Right? Like so, something to that effect was they, they had done fairly well stopping the run or limiting the run, containing the run. And then from there, it just turned into a little bit of a floodgate situation. Yeah. But yeah, it was also a look, Penn state couldn't stay on the field offensively. They only had the ball four times in the second half Yep, or maybe, maybe five, but I think four times in the second half, Arkansas just owned the football for the duration of the second half. And when one out of, right, so like first, second, third down, when one out of those three carries gets you 12 for Arkansas, you're, you're, that's it. That's, that's the ball game. You can't do anything about that. Penn State couldn't do anything about that. Yeah. Um, because Arkansas knew that they didn't need to pass the ball. I mean, it was almost dumbfounding that they didn't figure that out sooner, right? Like, <laughs> Yeah, because yeah, they, they were they were running a lot of their their offense is predicated around short passing screens. It's kind of a mirror image of the Penn State offense, except they have more power elements and they're better at it in the run game. Uh, they only take select deep shots. I think that'd be the the difference of where they want to be. And they just went, oh, so stop throwing the football? And then that was the end of the football game. Um, so I want to... They didn't even attempt a pass on the two touchdown drives. Like, yeah. And, and by the way, and, so not to cut you off again, but Penn, but Penn State fans, either on Twitter or in our uh, Blue White Illustrated Lions Den, where people have told me there were no adjustments, the scheme was bad, find a different scheme, kind of like on offense, they had the right answer. They were blitzing corners, they were forcing uh, Arkansas to run into a blitz, and KJ Jefferson ran dudes over. 
It's, it's uh, uh, Marquise Wilson couldn't tackle him in the backfield. You had uh, a couple guys in the backfield that, that missed tackles. You had Jesse Lucetta playing in space, which is always a, a bad situation for Jesse. And knowing the, the situation with the red shirts and, and not wanting those guys to play, it makes more sense of why they were forced to play him at linebacker instead of playing those young guys. So I, I've kind of come off my position of their decision to do that in the first place. Uh, but one thing I want to mention before we move on is that earlier we told Night Raven, you know, we do have a, a Patreon. It's called On3. We have a new subscription. Boom. We have a new f- family member to Blue White Illustrated. If you want to join Night Raven, you want to join us on the Lions Den, which I just talked about, bluewhiteillustrated.com and on all of our videos here on YouTube, if you're watching, you can subscribe by just clicking the first link of the video that takes you to the one-year subscription for a dollar. It's a, even in euros, which Night Raven, I, I don't know how the conversion works, but that's still really cheap. Uh, <laughs> so I want to wrap up here because we're, we're coming up on the end of the show. We haven't talked at all about the Penn State secondary. Joey Porter Jr., Marquise Wilson talked about him just a little bit. Do you feel like Penn State can maintain that level of play in the secondary or at least a version of that in 2022, knowing you lose possibly a first-round pick in Jaquan Brisker, but you are bringing back the majority of your secondary and some young, talented players. Because setting the table with a good secondary is how you become a competitive defense. Do you think they can do that with the players they still have, Dave? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think think they're in good shape there. Um, I think what we saw from uh, from Jair Brown um, on Saturday uh, went a long way uh, to, to helping me feel that way, I guess, um, alongside with Parker Washington. I think he was probably Penn state's best player, a couple picks, um, involved in the run game. You know, he had, he had a really good game. So, you know, you look at that, you've got, um, you've got him and then you've got to decide who's going to play safety next to him, whether that's, um, you know, whether that's Keaton Ellis, Jalen Reed, uh, you know, maybe Jonathan Sutherland, um, and then, you know, at, at one quarter, you're going to have Joey Porter and you're, you're going to have to figure out who plays the other corner position. And I think that's probably Kalen King right now. Um, and again, I thought he was really he, he was pretty good on, on Saturday. And, you know, he's been really good for a freshman mm-hmm. all year, um, despite that that Michigan play where he got picked. Uh, so, yeah, I think I think they're fine. I think, again, that's. If you're if you're like scrolling scrolling through the list of position groups where you might have a concern for Penn State, that's like way at the bottom. I think I think they're totally fine there. Yeah, I and and I just I think it's so important because those guys are as hard to find. Guys like Kalen King or Joey Porter Jr. for his whatever you want to say about him, he does have loads of talent and and played yeah. like it at certain points this season. Finding those guys can be as rare as finding those defensive tackles that change the game for you. So that part, having those guys come back is really important. That being said, some of the issues at defensive tackle didn't get better as the season went along with play and and experience for those young guys. So, Nate, do you think that Penn State should address tackle in the portal, or do those guys just need to physically develop and be a year older in order to get that level of play they're looking for? Yeah, I, th- I mean, it, it kind of depends on what happens with Akeem Beeman, I think, and with P.J. Mustafer, the until you really know what those two answers are, because really we're talking about the guys who were slated to start uh, before the season. So, you know, um, if... It, Larson did see me at Wegmans this morning. Why did you say hi, Larson? I was there. 
<laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to derail your whole comment, but that, I thought that was funny. <laughs> I had, I had, trust me, I had nothing worthwhile to say anyway. No, it, <laughs> look, they, they, it, it just depends on how they feel. Look, like if Mustafer comes back, then you've got a super senior there in yeah. that group of defensive tackles. Now you have some age, but if Hansard, Tangelo, uh, Aeneas Hawkins, not, you know, nothing has really happened in his career. Uh, if they're not part of the equation, you've, you're devoid of really any contributions from those two top classes. So, you know, having leadership, having experience, having those things in a position group are, it's just always valuable. Um, and so I think that that's, that's a thing that, yeah, if, if you're going to address that situation in the transfer portal, because those guys don't come back, then sure. Um, that's that's the way that you want to go. But I don't think that there's a lot to be gained by bringing in, uh, you know, redshirt freshman sophomores who physically might not be in a position to immediately contribute. It, right? Like they either need immediate help or they don't. I, I just, I, I want to bring this up uh, because um, Ohio State kept throwing to Jackson Smith and Jigba. <laughs> that was their adjustment. I understand what you're saying about defensively, uh, but also in the Rose Bowl, one of those touchdowns was a fourth and one sneak for 30 yards. The other was a kick return for a touchdown. So even on the offensive side of the ball in the first half with 35 points, 14 came outside of the offensive structure. So throwing to Jackson Smith and Jigba and then keep doing that. I don't know that you're making a strong point there about Ohio state did X, Y, or Z. And we talked to somebody else mentioned that they reloaded and they had three receivers and they're fine. And yes, all three of those receivers are five-star receivers. That's part of the narrative that we're talking about here for Penn state football, but it does bring up the last thing I want to talk about here. And it's something I've alluded to previously in the show, but I just want to get you on record right now, guys, Dave, do you think Penn state is close to being competitive because the last two seasons they have not, especially this season. They, they were not competitive in uh, the last couple of games in terms of down the stretch, losing six games. Do you think they'll be competitive deep into November next season? As far as competitive, like they're, they might win a big 10 title. Is that what we're talking about? Um, that if that is, then no. Okay. Um, I, I, I don't I don't I don't see that in, in Penn State's future barring a considerable roster overhaul. Um and I'm I yeah, I, I don't see it. Nate. Um maybe maybe I, look like I, I think that there are it, it is a game played by many from which a few adjustments and improvements can have massive impacts. Um, I, I just, right, like, if if Penn State can find some consistency at receiver outside of Parker Washington, if Penn State can get development from its tight ends, obviously the offensive line is a huge deal. I, I just, <laughs> like, if the defense, the, the defense has to revert a little bit. I, mm -hmm. I just I think that there are more turnovers to be had, but in terms of stopping the run, in terms of some of those other core stats that they hang their hat on, uh, I just don't see any way that it can quite maintain the same level that it played at this season. However, Penn State's offense 
just, I, I mean, maybe it can be as bad as it was this season, but it, it it's going to take effort to do that. Like it, it just the, the inefficiency of the offense this season, just it plagued them. And mm-hmm. so like, uh, yeah, you don't want to find yourself in situations where one or two, like where it's so close that one or two plays dictates whether or not you win or lose the game. But guess what? That's big 10 football. That is what this is, is it comes down to that for every game that you're going to play outside of the Rutgers, the, the Indiana. And there, there's Don't always say Illinois. Of, <laughs> I won't say Illinois. I will not say Illinois, but there's always a couple of teams like, and you yeah. don't know exactly what teams those are going to be on the schedule. Um, but it's rare that you're going to have a nine game slate where all nine teams are that hard. Right. Yeah. 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 But, but that's kind of how I felt about this season was, yeah, you, you had a couple of throwaways and the rest of the league though, those, those other seven games were all against teams that can beat you. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Like, but none that should blow the doors off. And that's the thing that is going to be hard to gauge. And it's always hard to gauge. You just never know until the season gets started. Are are there going to be any elite teams? Even Michigan proved it the other night that that is not an elite team. Top to bottom. Okay. Ohio State this season was not an elite team. And so in some ways, Penn State missed its chance to make a mark against beatable teams, against teams at the top of the conference that they could have beaten and ended up losing by three or four points. I think Penn State could lose or win a bunch of games by three or four points next season, but it obviously has to, right? Like, I don't see it turning into a... They're not turning the corner. Yeah, they're they're not turning the corner into an elite team, but they could win some close margin games and they could get some more positive bounces next season and they could have a better record, but be relatively the same. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, We got to get going. So I just want to say thank you to both of you guys uh, and to thank and thank you to everyone who came and who donated the channel participated in this show because I just want to explain this year we're doing all of this stuff for the first time on YouTube and trying to find our way through how everything works and what we want to have each show be. This show, what I wanted, as I discovered throughout the season, I wanted this to be your voice. I wanted this to be where we uh, talk about things you want to hear, your reactions coming out of the game, and I feel like uh, we've done that this year. But I also want to thank Dave and Nate because they're the ones answering these hard questions. They're the ones that are having Poorly. to answer these questions because <laughs> I, you know, I, I'm sitting here being the question asker, uh, and maybe I answer some of them, but they bore the brunt of some uncomfortable conversations. Uh, and I just think that they did a great job with that. I think they did their best to answer some unanswerable questions. So to both of you, thank you so much for doing the show on Mondays. I think it was a huge benefit to Blue White Illustrated and to the listeners. Thanks, guys. Yeah, it was fun, T. Frank. Thanks a lot. I'm glad it wasn't. Was it fun, Nate? Did you have fun? 
Sometimes. <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll think more or less fun than your reg- Wegmans run this morning. <laughs> more fun than Wegmans. <laughs> All right. More well, that'll do it this season for the Blue White Illustrated Monday live recap show. Thank you to everybody who participated, both here on the panel and in the audience. We will be back this off season, so make sure you subscribe to Blue White Illustrated on YouTube and uh, on Twitter, Penn State on three, so you don't miss the next live show. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. We'll talk to you then. Thank you.